In this episode, we're talking about Stoicism and what we can learn from its teachings that can help us through disruptive times. My name is Lou Blazer. You're listening to Second Breaks. This is episode 126. Hello, my friend. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Second Breaks. And it is Tuesday, April 14th, as I record this episode. Although, honestly, who even knows what day it is anymore, right? It is this strange phenomenon or sensation that's happening around the world where we are losing track of time. And even Tom Hanks, um, when he hosted SNL's Live From Home last week, he said there's no such thing as Saturdays anymore. It's just every day is today. Psychologists say that this strange sensation that we're feeling is a result of the drastic changes to our normal routines that we have lost our daily markers. Workdays blur together and weekends are exactly the same as the weekdays except with fewer things on the to-do list or maybe one less Zoom call with the boss. Such is our free-form, kind of weird world that we're living in right now. The one thing that I'm doubling down on is rereading this book by Ryan Holiday called The Obstacle is the Way, which I finally read last year. And thank goodness for it too, because I find that rereading a few pages of it every morning sets my mind straight for the day. It's kind of like if my dad were sitting me down every morning and telling me, okay, Lou, here's the thing. Which, by the way, some people told me a long time ago when he passed away that dad was a stoic. Although I didn't really understand what that meant until I picked up the holidays book. And then I went, oh yeah, dad was a stoic. Anyway, I wanted to explore the subject of Stoicism here on the podcast because I believe this philosophy and the central teachings are exactly, exactly what we need to weather whatever this is that's happening right now. But I am not an expert on Stoicism, far from it. And so I put out a call to my network And someone put me in touch with Brendan Hufford, who has been studying and practicing Stoicism way longer than I have been. He's even got two related teachings tattooed on his forearm to remind him. And he's written about it too. Uh, And most importantly, he was willing to geek out with me on the topic on the show. So yay! So today we're talking with Brendan about Stoicism and Amor Fati and Memento Mori and Amelia Earhart and Thomas Edison and the big fire. Um, And we're also talking about this terrible diagnosis that Brendan and his wife learned about their son when he was just two years old, which made Brendan really embrace the idea of Amor Fati. And then towards the end, we also talk about what Brendan actually does for a living. It's important to understand like two things. So number one, uh, basic summary is it's just, uh, we can call it ancient or whatever, but it's just an old Greek philosophy, uh, a way of living. Um, It's it's important to understand what it isn't first. Um, Stoicism, I think one of the big goals of Stoicism is kind of understanding, similar to people who meditate, right? The goal of meditation isn't to 
uh, feel nothing and experience nothing and have this empty mind for 30 minutes. The, the goal of meditation is every time you think a thought to observe it and then be like, okay, and then just let it go away. That way, when you're living your regular life and you're angry, your brain, instead of being angry and getting caught up in emotions, your brain goes, oh, you're angry right now. Why is that? And it gives you that kind of mental check. The same is true of stoicism. Um, the problem is I think that sometimes people think that stoicism, the goal is to like not feel things, to just be this like cow standing in the rain, feeling nothing, you know, out in a field. And it's really not not been my experience. I'm, I'm not an expert on it, um, but I think that, you know, I've been able to apply things. Okay, so in the show notes, I've put a link to an article about Stoicism 101 that also includes nine exercises to get you started. Show notes are at secondbreaks.com forward slash podcast. So I've kind of latched onto a couple principles of Stoicism that have made huge differences in my life. It's not this giant like code or credo that you have to follow. And there's a lot of aspects to it and a lot of different things. But what I love is that the regular person could, which is me, can dine at the buffet of stoicism, pick and choose what's valuable to you, pick and choose what um, makes sense for you with your current beliefs. It's not a religion. The Stoics were very staunchly not uh, a faith-based group of people. Um, but if you are like this, I think there's some pieces of it, too, that uh, in are also reflected in a lot of faiths. So um, it's been really meaningful to me. Mm. How did you actually get into it? You know, I I'll be honest with you. I got sick and tired of everybody telling me that I should read Obstacles the Way. Okay, so that was the same book I mentioned in the intro. And same thing with Brendan. I saw it everywhere, mentioned everywhere. The book was originally published in 2014, but I didn't pick it up until last year. Uh, Brandon and I actually refer to Holiday's book several times during our chat. So we are, you know, fans of the book. Uh, I knew of Ryan Holiday, the author, because I'd followed him from marketing. Um, because I'm a marketer by trade and, well, I guess I'm technically a teacher by trade because that's what I did for the first 10 years of my professional career. But I'm a marketer. So I was reading all of his books and was interested in his work and all this other stuff. So I followed him from that, and then out of nowhere, he comes out with this book about stoicism. I'm like, all right, cool. Sounds like old and dusty, and I'm not into that. And then I bought it. Then he it was on Kindle for $1.99, so I bought it, didn't read it. Finally, uh, one of my buddies was like, try out Audible. So I, I got Audible one day, and again, recommended. It comes up on my Audible app, Obstacles the Way, and I'm like, all right, I'll do it fi finally. And then over the course of, I think, like a summer – um, while I mowed the lawn on the weekends, I would just listen to the book. Um, it's narrated by the author, Ryan Holiday. I think he's a great narrator. Yeah. And it all of a sudden was just like, wow, wow. Like this is really interesting. Um, and that's kind of how it started. And then it just kind of progressed from there. You have, um, a tattoo on your arm that says Amor Fati. Yeah, I actually have two tattoos. I'll cover them both. They, they're they both on the inside of my forearms. They face me. Okay, so Brandon has three boys, and you're going to hear them upstairs while I was talking to their dad. Uh, which is really, you know, when I went to go get the tattoos, the tattoo artist was like, well, which way do you want him to face? I'm like, I want him to face me. He's like, oh, well, wouldn't that be hard for other people to read? And I was like, they're not for other people. I, I need to read them. Like traditionally, a lot of people put it sideways so you can hold your arm up and somebody else could easily read it, right? Yes. I could see you and you would see it on my arm. 
So the one tattoo is Memento Mori, which is uh, remember someday that you will die. Uh, it's kind of like the um, darker, more emo, older brother of Carpe Diem, right? Like today, but it's a you know you get one at bat at this, and you have to make the most of it. Um, so that's Memento Mori. Amor Fati is a hundred. Both of these came from the book, um, from reading it. It impacted me so much. Uh, I, when I was a teacher, I even got, uh, I asked Ryan Holiday to help fund a set of books for my class, for my students, and I put it into my curriculum, and I didn't really care what our principal thought. Um, and it was simply because I, I had been talking about it to my students so much and explaining this concept. I was working in Chicago, in the city, in a, arguably one of the rougher neighborhoods in, in the south side of Chicago, uh, and I'd previously taught in Gary, Indiana. So I was used to, like, having a lot of students that didn't have a lot of hope and they weren't really sure how their circumstances could be advantageous to them. Hmm. So teaching them about Amor Fati, Amor Fati, Amor means love, Fati means fate. It's loving, choosing to love your fate. Um, no matter what happens in your life, when everything, like if we're honest with ourselves, Lou, like nothing's really in our control, right? I think our global pandemic right now is really humbling for a lot of people realizing that no matter what they do, they cannot control this, right? That the only thing you can control right now is really just staying inside. Um, one of the things that's meant the most to me around Amor Fati, how do I explain this? Let's see if I can talk about this without getting emotional. Um, so choosing to love your fate when things are hard sounds great on a regular day. Like, oh yeah, love your yeah. fate. No matter what happens, like, oh, I spilled my coffee, no problem. It's still great. Life's awesome. Love your fate. Um, and that's that's fine. Like that is an application of it, right? But where I you really need the reminders when like something terrible happens. And we uh, I had mentioned kind of before we started recording and stuff, I have three boys. Uh they're currently six, four, and one. Um, but right after we had our the my middle guy, who's now four, right after we had him, we thought uh, there was a good chance based on some tests, some initial tests, um, that he had a really horrible, like crippling disease that he would develop normally through about three or four years old and then slowly like lose his ability to walk. And then he would lose other abilities and it would just slowly kill him until he was about 20 and then he would die. And we my wife and I had to like live in that. How old was he when you were told this? Maybe one or two. So we're watching him develop and it was like, yeah, he might just peak around two or three and then just have this terrible quality of life and you just have to watch your kids slowly die for 20 years. Um, and we had to like wrap, we had to like live in that and be like, that is our reality. And I had to like, that's where like the rubber met the road for me. It was like, all right. In this moment, am I going to choose to be upset and be angry and all of these other things? Or am I going to choose to love my fate and just decide that the 20 years I would get with him would be better than like not having known him at all? And that was the decision we made. And thankfully, he's fine. Like he doesn't have that. Yeah. But getting to experience that is also another part of stoicism of like putting yourself in like the worst situation mentally and emotionally on a regular basis just to have experienced it. Right. So that if something bad happens, your, your brain has a familiarity of like, I've run this scenario. I've already made the decision, et cetera. Um, so yeah, it, it, I think that's where the, in God willing, nothing like that will happen again, but 
if it does, like we like we made that choice. Um, and I think we would make the same choice over and over. Well, a lot of people are experiencing a different kind of fate right now from what they may have imagined at the beginning of the year, right? We all were putting together our vision boards 100%. and are coming up with our plans for 2020. And then coronavirus decided to hijack the world. And so a lot of people have all of a sudden have a new sort of thing that they're having to live with. And when you say Amor Fati, is it the same as saying, you know, there is this other fatalistic sort of uh, sentiment out there, which is like everything happens for a reason or our fates are written in the star or something along those lines. Is it the same or is it different? Well, I think I think this is uh, Amor Fati is a little more realistic because it doesn't. I think that people do well-meaning people say terrible things in hard times. Mm. Um, people will say to you, you know, like if somebody would have come to me and I was like, yeah, my kid told if I told them exactly what I just told you and they're like, ah, everything happens for a reason. I'll punch you in the teeth because there's no reason for this. There's no reason um, that this should be happening and there's no good that comes out of this. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, and this happens. So I'm as a Christian, this happens a lot of like, ah, you know, God, God's in everything, you know, God has a purpose in everything. And it's like, don't like, I don't, I biblically don't believe that to be, I mean, I believe God has a hand in everything, but I don't believe that everything is like, oh, God's got a purpose in this. It'll be for the best. It's not, mm -hmm. you know, that's not biblically how God is, or even in my experience. So people would say terrible things. Um, and I think people say terrible things right now of like, oh, you're out of job and you can't pay rent and you can't, you know, your kid is super sick and has this illness, but you're afraid to go to the hospital because you don't want him to get COVID and all this other like people are in horrible situations right now in the United States. But globally, people are in even worse situations. People have already lost their whole family. They're, you know, half their town, like all these terrible things have happened. Um, and I think to try to choose to see the silver lining or whatever. And it isn't, I don't think it's healthy and I don't think it's helpful. Um, what is helpful is to help people understand that two things. Number one, feel your feelings. They're real, they're valid, feel them, live in them. Mm -hmm. um, but in a time that makes sense for you or over a time period that makes sense for you, like you just understand you still have that choice. Um, and reading about the experiences of others is helpful for me. So books are helpful. Reading about um, people in concentration camps that still chose, like, I'm going to make yeah. life for my fellow prisoners the best it can be, right? I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I still have control over this. So I'm going to keep control over that. I can still choose, you know, the, the biggest thing that decided whether or not somebody lived or died in concentration camps was their outlook on life, right? Like whether they gave up hope. Um, and... That's a very easy, callous thing to say now, right, in 2020, living in my wonderful suburban home in central United States. Um, but I've, I mean, that's what they've found to be true. And I think that giving people that power back, you know, you still get to decide how you feel about this. You still get to decide how you react. Nobody can take that from you. I think it's very empowering. Like when you realize nobody can can take that away and no circumstance can take that away. Um, it's a very freeing uh, experience. Sort of uh, harking back to what you said uh, in the beginning when you said, you know, 
the reality is very little is within our control in the world, right? And so, mm-hmm. but at the same token, I remember one of the sentences on the I, I highlighted so many phrases in that damn book by Ryan Holiday. But uh-huh. one of the things that I really try to remember almost every day is this question he poses, like, what here is up to me, right? So uh, in along the lines of loving our fate, um, okay, so this is happening, but what here is up to me? So for example, how I, how I respond, how I react, that is up to me, right? Absolutely. And the more you can think that, the more reps you have in that around like, this situation seems out of my control. What what do I have control over? Or what can I take? What kind of agency do I still have in my own life? I think is really, really powerful. You know, if I've, my wife and I've run this scenario over the last couple of weeks, I'm very fortunate. Um, in January, I started a directorship position at a really successful marketing agency. And I feel that my job is really secure right now. But we we're running those scenarios of like, what if you get laid off? Like, what do we do? What about this? What about that? And, you know, putting myself in that position and running through that mentally and emotionally, um, going through that mourning process, which a lot of people do when they lose a job or whatever, and they lose some of those relationships, um, is still really healthy because then if it happens, you realize like, oh, I will will be, it might be terrible, but I, I think we'll be fine in the end because I'll do X, Y, and Z. And it's not this fear of the unknown, which I think in many cases is much worse. Yeah. But it also doesn't mean, I don't think that, um, that we don't, and I think you said this, feel how you're, you know, recognize how you're feeling. So it doesn't mean that you don't feel upset or depressed about, I mean, I'm sure that when you heard the news about your son, you were absolutely depressed and sad about the situation. Yeah, perfectly. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so, but you still have that choice. Yeah, so this perception the Stoics are cold and unfeeling is not really true because it doesn't mean that you don't feel. Feel your feelings um, and continue to feel your feelings. It's not some like passive thought of like, well, I felt sad and now is the time I'm choosing to no longer feel that. Like, I just told you that story and started cr- I mean, thank God this is mo- we're using mostly audio, but like I'm like crying just telling the story. Like those feelings are still there. They're they're two centimeters behind my eyes at all times, right? Like, it's always still there. Those feelings don't go away. It's just the way that I choose to respond to them. Yeah. So in in Ryan's book, so to kind of just preface this, I think Ryan's book uh, categorizes or breaks it apart into three areas. One is perception, one is action, and the other one is, is it will? Something like that? I know the second one is action. Because that is the one that has all kinds of bookmarks so, <laughs> on yeah. my copy. But um, so he talks about action, right? And uh, lots of people right now are paralyzed with uncertainty and fear for their health, for their loved ones' health, for the what's happening with the stock market, what's happening with my job, what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, how... How does one take action um, during times of uncertainty when you don't know what's happening? Yeah, so I've the way I think, if I remember it rightly, there's perception, like we're choosing how we perceive things. There's action, and then there's will. Um, so I think the the perception we already kind of talked about, right? Uh, like uh, Viktor Frankl and the the Nazi oppressors and everything else, like choosing how to perceive that situation. Um, I think around action, I'm a big believer 
your actions indicate your priorities, right? You say you want to lose weight, and I'm I'm 100% talking about myself right now. Like I say, I want to lose weight, and then I eat. I literally eat like three sleeves of Girl Scout cookies, <laughs> um, and or whatever. You know, I say I want to be successful, and then you know my little app on my MacBook is like you spent 17 hours watching YouTube this week, and it's like oh, like okay. So I think your actions indicate your priorities. You always have a choice of perception. You always have a choice around action. Uh, I think what's really dangerous is we're we're very much raised. I was very much raised, uh, and I hope other people can empathize with this or at least sympathize with it, to do like in, in school, right? Like stay in your seat, be quiet, do what you're told, sit in your desk for 45 to 55 minutes, because that's how long you would get before you get a shift break in a factory or whatever. Um, and I think really it's a, the way to take action for me is, is hard to explain. And the reason is that I've always, when I trace back through time, I can only see this looking backwards. Um, my wife asks me all the time when we talk about things from my past, like, why didn't you just quit? Mm. When I was in high school and I was always Lou, I was the worst kid that still made varsity sports in high school. So I would make the team and then never play. Right. And that was true of hockey. That was true of rugby. That was true of every sport. I would make the team and then like never get playing time. She's like, why didn't you quit? And I'm like, I don't know. And then when I started my first business, we were doing it. We imported some stuff and uh, it totally like it was awful. The product was terrible, uh, et cetera. And I lost like my first two thousand dollars that I had like saved on a teacher's salary to like start this business just lost in a day. And my wife's like, why didn't you just quit? And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I just kept going. So I think it's two things, right? There's nature and there's nurture. It is my nature to just not quit things. Um, I don't, I can't explain it. And I'm willing to like, let that be that. But there's also nurture. There's also how I was raised. And I think like, you still have that choice, right? Mm. You have the choice, no matter what, to still take action that gets you closer to your goals. And look, like I've, I've battled and wrestled this. I, this is never a, a, a thing that is solved, right? There are problems. I always try to keep things in two buckets and understand them appropriately. There are problems. You can solve a problem. And then there are tensions. Tensions don't get mm-hmm. solved. Tensions get managed, right? For me, taking action when things are hard is a tension to manage, right? Like I've tried all sorts of, I got a, all my personal development books here and all these other things. And I've got all of my, I've got my journals sitting here and all of my miracle morning stuff and whatever else, like I've done all of it. It still only gets me a little bit of the way there. And then, you know, six months later, I'm back in, you know, my, my funky patterns. Um, so I don't want anybody to think talking about this of like, well, you just decide and then your life is great. Like that's not how it works at all. Um, another example of attention, if people want an example, like an example of attention to manage is when you're in a relationship with somebody else. Like you don't solve your partner. You don't figure it out one day, right? Things get bad. I've been married uh, to my wife for over 10 years. We have been together for, gosh, it seems like this is like two years ago. Uh, for, we've been together for 16 years. Um, you don't figure it out. It gets, parts get easier if you work on your relationship, but it's still attention to manage, right? Like there's still just things you continue working on in your relationship. And the same is true of stoicism and choosing to take action. 
It's just a question of like, what small action can I take today that moves me closer to my goals? And that's usually the way I think about it. You know, if I've, if I got laid off, all right, cool. Like, let me go update my LinkedIn profile. Let me send messages to 30 people to see if they can give me recommendations. Let me do this. Let me do that. Just a small action that gets me closer to my goal. And what I've learned, um, I learned this from Tim Ferriss in his book, The 4-Hour Chef. Whenever you're learning something new, you have to get momentum. You have to get quick wins under your belt. And if the idea of like, you get laid off and you're like, I'm going to send out 50 applications today. Okay, well, you got to write your cover letters. You got to do, you got to update your resume. You got to do this. You got to do that. And there's like all of a sudden this overwhelming task of things to do. And you don't have enough momentum to do that. You maybe send out one application. It's like, well, that's done. And it was exhausting. Um, then you watch YouTube for 17 hours. Uh, but having those easy wins and finding those small things, it's just a question of same thing of like, what do I have control over? Great. Let me do the easiest thing possible. Kind of like the habit of flossing your teeth, like just decide to floss one tooth, you know, and if you can floss one tooth every day, like, like eventually you'll just floss your teeth. There is also this context or this concept of taking action, even if the situation isn't perfect, or even if the quote unquote, all the docs aren't in a row yet, you know, mm -hmm. um, and I think the example that he gave was the example of Amelia Earhart, where it's not the perfect um, yeah. set of circumstances for her, but she agreed anyway, right? And so, obviously, we are in a situation where very little is perfect at the moment, right? And a lot of it is... Um, you know, sort of figuring things out. A lot of people, even the experts, don't really know exactly what's happening next, right? So, um, and so it's it's the ability to take action even if um, the situation isn't quite perfect. Yeah, from a business and career perspective, like I, I've been really fascinated watching uh, just new categories pop up. Mm. Uh, you know, I saw Banana Republic put up a page on their website for video chat accessories. Um, and I was like, that's a new category. That's really cool. And I think all of a sudden, like in this new environment, when it comes to career and business, like we can create a new category for ourselves. Different skills are valuable, right? Like nobody gives a crap if you're good at Microsoft Excel right now. Mm -hmm. right? Like, how do you like there are new skills that matter way more than how good you are with Google Sheets. So all of a sudden, it's like if you can be the person that highlights those skills, um, you know, you can be really successful. So I think, again, it just comes down to like, what's under your control, and then taking that imperfect action. Again, like, this is the way I'm wired, right? Like, I sent out I sent out emails with typos, I just go, and I publish, and I ship stuff, and however we want to phrase it, right? I just do things. Um, it's hard for me, I, I err the other way, where it's hard for me to slow down and be mm. thoughtful. Uh, my to-do list is like this giant sticky note on my wall that I just literally keep adding to. And there's the, the second thing on that list I still haven't done and I'm still adding to it. Um, and yeah, so I don't, I don't have any great advice for not taking on a thousand things, but I can tell you that it's way, I love the analogy of like, it's easier to turn a moving vehicle. Um, you know, as long as you have forward momentum, it's easier to make that turn. Maybe with power steering, the analogy doesn't make as much sense. But like, I think it's true, right? Like the more, the faster you're going, the easier it is to get where you want to go. And then just a small turn, a small pivot with some speed, all of a sudden you have a totally different trajectory. So I think that as long as you're doing something uh, and not letting the fear of like having to take perfect action hold you back, you, you'll still find some 
bit of success. And at the very least, you'll feel a lot better about what's going on. We'll get back to Brendan in a second. I just wanted to tell you a little bit about the other second breaks, the newsletter. Just like this podcast, the newsletter is all about what it takes to thrive in the 21st century. Every Sunday, a new issue is published with relevant and timely insights about what's really happening in the world of work so you can frame your next steps. Especially in light of the current situation where everything is getting disrupted and there are lots of uncertainty, we need information to make decisions about how best to proceed. The problem is we're way past information overload at this point. We are in information exhaustion and it's getting harder and harder to find a signal from all the noise. This is the space where the Second Breaks newsletter steps in and I consider this really my most important job right now to do the research and deliver the most relevant and timely and reliable information available out there so you can make the right decisions for yourself and your career. So I encourage you to sign up for the Second Breaks newsletter. It's free. Go to secondbreaks.com forward slash newsletter to sign up. So you mentioned the third uh, or the third uh, category in Ryan's uh, holidays book, mm-hmm. The Obstacle's Way, is will. And I, quite frankly, I can't remember what it's about. Is it about um, keeping going even if the going gets tough? So will is the thing that allows you to do to take the action, right? So you have perception, uh, how, what's happening in this situation. I can choose how to perceive this. Uh, I have the action. I know I can take that action. And then will is literally our ability to do that, right? Uh, Ryan Holiday tells the story of Thomas Edison, whose factory was burning down. And literally his life's work doesn't matter about it. Like there were priceless experiments going on in there and incredible science. And I, he was writing that the, uh, the explosions from the factories that was burning down were like bright greens and yellows and purples. Cause there was just so many chemicals and all this different, all these materials in the factory. And everybody was like, just so distraught. And in the story he, he told, I, I think he was in his mid sixties Um, so what we would say would be like nearing the end of your professional career to have your life's work burning down in front of you. He, instead of saying like, why me, why me? He told like one of his kids to go get his wife to go get, um, he told his son to go get his mother. And he was like, well, why do I need to go get her? And he's like, she'll never see a fire like this ever again. Like it was just, he was in the moment and just like, chose that action of yeah. like, this is not my end. This is not like I'm, I, he'd already decided. Right. Then it was just like, wow, like this is an amazing fire. There's, this is a once in a lifetime kind of event. Um, and that's, that type of context is like really, you know, really helpful for me. And it also, he didn't, in that, in that story, he also says something to the effect of like, you know, we just got, we got rid of a lot of junk. You know, we were holding on to experiments that we probably should have let go a long time ago. We were trying to pursue stuff because we had, um, you know, all this time and effort invested into it. We had that sunk cost bias. And it's like, but now we don't have that. So now we can just pursue what we know we need to pursue. Oh, my goodness. I had forgotten about the story. And as you were telling it, and I remember it, I'm getting chills because this is exactly, I think, where we are right now, right? The the equivalent of the fire, right? The, 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 you know, so, so many things are happening um, that is, 
that was unimaginable just a few weeks ago. And yeah. it's so easy for anybody to just sit down and cry and go, why this this happen? I am ruined. This I can't get, you know, how am I going to get up after this? Uh, my savings was in that restaurant mm -hmm. or in that business that, yeah. you know, it's just so impossible to to pick up from here and so that story is so apropos oh my goodness i was having chills thank you for reminding me about that yeah. story absolutely um and also the fact that he wasn't 30 years old when that happened so this other thing that people say well you're young right yeah. and so it's easy for you to say <laughs> yep yeah i think and people say stuff like that all the time you know it, i think people like again well-meaning people say terrible things and They'll try, they're trying to be encouraging. And it's like, I, I don't know, like what really inspired me about that was that wasn't him choosing in that moment to feel that way and do those things. You know, I think he lost something like $20 million in that fire and then went on after that to make something like $200 million in today's money. And like, that was really interesting to me is that like, just it, 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 it sounds so simple. And that's the thing is because it is like, this is really simple stuff. And I think that's why people gloss over it. Right. Um, and that's why we need a whole book to make the point because you're going to latch onto this story or that story or this concept and that concept, right? Like I could give this to you on a note card. I can explain it to you in 30 seconds, but you need enough examples that somehow the synapses connect in your brain that make a pattern that then when you need that information, your brain goes, Hey, what about this? You know? Um, so I think it's really valuable. And even stories like that are, are really helpful for me to keep in mind in, in at all times, but because this is the situation we find ourselves in today is literally no different than any other time. We have no more or less control over our environment in our world than we did three months ago. It's just in our face now. It's just proven like, Hey dummies, like you guys, you really thought you had a handle on things, didn't you? And it's like, we don't. Right. Yeah. So I think that that's a, a, a big reminder for me. I read The Obstacles the way first on Kindle. Then I decided to buy the hard, you know, the hard cover. Yep. And then now what I do is, is it sits on my on my work desk here. And just every morning I just flip open a page and almost every 99.9% .9 of the time, there's something there that I could say, you know, I can apply this today. So that... <laughs> Yeah. That's how I use it. Really, and I, I feel like I'm skipping to like chapter three here, but um, the, his new book is called Stillness is the Key. Uh, and I didn't, I was like, okay, I get it. Like, this is the problem with Ryan Holiday books. You're like, I get it. Like the cover and the title, like I get the point. Do I need to read the book? Man, it's surprising. Every, I was like, stillness is the key. Yes, Ryan, I know I need more stillness in my life. Yes, I know that I need to slow down and like calm my mind and all these other things. And I'm racing too fast. But I think in this cycle right now where a lot of us have anxiety and we're checking the news every day and we're seeing like more cases of COVID and more deaths and it's still spreading. And why is this happening? And all of this stuff is just this overwhelming news and creating a very there's like the the layer of clouds of like general life anxiety of things you're just doing and dealing with. But now there's this additional layer of clouds below it that's like the is this the end of the world kind of feeling and when will this end feeling from the the global pandemic that we're in so stillness is the key was uh i think is my the dark horse of the trilogy uh that really stood out to me like i ended up learning a lot about why it's a lot about why we aren't still 
And it's what's fascinating to me is that it didn't really touch on like he didn't rail on news media or cell phones or social networks or whatever else. Um, it's really like looking back in your past and understanding why you can't be still. Uh, and it was like monumentally valuable for me. Well, that was on my list of uh, books to pick up and read. So now that you talked about it, I think I'm going to go do that next. Mm -hmm. Uh, Brendan, this was so fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for doing this with me. But before I let you go, can you talk a little bit about what you do for a living? Where do you work? What do you do? <laughs> yeah, let's. we should probably set aside another hour for this. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah so I, uh, I went to school. I went to college to be a teacher because they let 18-year-olds decide what they want to do with their lives. Like... I don't trust 18 year olds with a lot, but it's like, sure, here, take on a ton of debt and choose a life path. Yes. Go. <laughs> and I sat down because I'm uh, I'm 35. So we still had the like physical course catalog at that point uh, that looks like a small phone book. And I was flipping through and I was like, I guess I'll be a teacher. So I went to school to be a teacher. And I did that for 10 years. I was an assistant principal for a little bit. And really all all that teaching, I did some good work, but all that it got me was you know, like the the Sunday night scaries, right? Like having panic attacks on Monday morning going into work, which was very real for me. I had a couple panic attacks driving to work on Mondays. Um, you know, an extra 30 pounds around my midsection, an unhealthy relationship with alcohol. Like it was not great for me, but I tried to, because it, we talked about, like I pushed through things, right? Mm -hmm. I just keep going. So I did it for 10 years. And on the side, I had built these little businesses and these little websites and everything else, including the one I lost $2,000 on and, you know, figuring all of that out. And then one of my buddies was finally like, hey, man, why don't instead of you just like because I, I had been sold this idea of like you have to quit your day job and start your own business and then you'll be free. And one of my buddies was like, hey, man, why don't you like you love marketing? That's why you you have like these little successful side hustles. Instead of trying to make one of those your full-time thing, why don't you just go work in marketing? And I had genuinely never considered that, not for a second. I didn't even really know that was an option. So over the course of like a month or two, I applied a bunch of places in Chicago, ended up joining a really cool uh, design and marketing agency called Click Studios uh, here in Chicago, um, grew within that organization, did a lot of great work, uh, launched a bunch of my own products and projects and all these different things around the type of marketing that I do, which is search marketing, SEO, search engine optimization. Mm -hmm. And then in January of 2020, so just a few months ago, I joined uh, an, a bigger agency uh, that works with bigger clients like Allstate and kind of enterprise software companies uh, called Directive, and I'm the director of SEO there. So you consider that your full-time job and then you have a, you have side hustles or you do st stuff on the side? Uh, I can't, I can't help myself. I still do stuff on the side. I still do a lot of consulting on the side. Um, I still do a lot of like a productized service stuff where it's audits and it's strategies and stuff and things like the like, content strategies. Um, and then I just like do other things I want to. I'm a teacher and I was so tired of pointing people to these sketchy, crappy resources because I know this sounds silly, SEO is the one thing you cannot learn by Googling it because by nature of manipulating Google, the people that are going to rank the best for how to manipulate search engine results on the search engine results are going to be like some of the spammiest, <laughs> sketchiest people. Yes. And that's a problem. And I was so tired of that. I was so tired of, I fought that battle for two years where people are like, well, this person says, and I'm like, that person has never had a successful business other than the business where they teach you how to be a successful business. 
It's like courses about courses and I'm good at SEO because I write about SEO on my SEO blog. And it's just like, they haven't done anything with it. And that was really frustrating for me. So mid last year, I started a project called hundred days of SEO, uh, overly ambitious, which is my, my MO <laughs> uh, where I was like every day, every weekday for 20 weeks. So hundred days, uh, five times 20 every day, I'm going to publish a blog post, a video and a podcast episode around the same topic. And it was super ambitious. Wow. Uh, in fact, started that last year, still not done. Um, because it turns out that's way harder, right? I was like, <laughs> oh, you have to make thumbnails for your videos? Cool, didn't factor that in. Um, oh, you gotta edit this stuff? Ah, yeah, I should have thought about that. So I was just, anyways, that's kind of what I do. I take on ambitious projects and then just try to get them done. Um, so yeah, 100 Days of SEO is a big thing. I also started my own community called SEO for the rest of us. Uh-huh. For everybody out there who was like, I, I've heard I needed SEO, like people get told like, oh, you need to get traffic from search engines. And people are like, yeah, I guess, but like, I don't really know. It seems overwhelming and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, hi, I was a teacher for 10 years. I can explain this to you. Um, so I created SEO for the rest of us. It's a thriving membership community and and I love it. Okay, cool. So on the show notes for this episode, I'm going to include the article that you wrote for the Daily Stoic. But other than yeah. that, outside of that, where can we find you online? Uh, you know, I'd love to say it's because I'm good at SEO, but you can Google Brendan Hufford. Uh, I think I'm just the only person with that name. You could Google Brendan Hufford, spell it like people are like, how do you spell it? Doesn't matter. You can misspell it like crazy. I'll still come up. It's not because I'm good at SEO. Just nobody else has that name. <laughs> uh, I feel bad. Uh, my buddy, Justin Jackson. And it's just like, he's never going to show up for his name. There's like four NBA players and like two football players with the same name. Like you're never going to rank for Justin Jackson. Um, but I can rank for Brendan Hufford. So you could Google me. Um, it depends on what you like, right? Like if you like podcasts, look me up uh, in your favorite podcast player. I've done a bunch of interviews. I have some of my own podcasts that I think will be helpful for you. What's the title of your podcast again? Yeah, so I have a couple. Uh, the one right now that I'm working on, I have a members only podcast for my community that's private uh, and then called SEO for the rest of us confidential. And then I have the 100 Days of SEO podcast. And then I have one called Entrepreneurs and Coffee that's been running in seasons since about 2015, um, which started out as a very like formulaic interview show. I wasn't really sure what to do, but again, just taking action. Like I, I like podcasts. Well, I'll make one because um, that's what I do. And then it just turned into some really like season three was a cool format where I just recorded everything into my iPhone while I was driving to work or driving home from work. Um, and I really enjoyed it. So it got a great response. So yeah, there's a couple seasons of Entrepreneurs and Coffee. Um, I got sued by Starbucks, fun fact, because um, <laughs> my logo, I, I knew what I was doing. I, I love streetwear. I love things that are referential. So I made my logo uh, look just like the Starbucks logo, uh, but on the inside, instead of the uh, mermaid or whatever that is, it was a, a light bulb and a coffee cup and an ampersand. And uh, I got a nice little, I even made an episode out of it. I got a nice little call from somebody from their legal team that was like, hey, can you, can you not? It's too close uh, to their logo? Is that what you're yeah. saying? They were like, it's, it says coffee and it's a green circle. And I'm like, yeah, that is your thing. That I knew. I knew what I was doing. They're like, can you make it orange? I'm like, no, that's not how that works, but we'll figure it out. And we did. They're lovely. Their legal team was really nice to work with. Thank you for not suing me. Because uh, I was a teacher. Like, I was like, there's nothing here for you guys. Um, so, yeah, that's the podcast. Uh, and then if people like video, uh, you can literally just go on YouTube and type in Brendan Hufford. You'll find my channel. 
Uh, I have a bunch of videos that still do really well around me switching careers. So I kind of vlogged during the time of quitting teaching, uh, which was a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, so I think that there's some value there too. It just depends on how people like to consume media. Brendan, thank you so much. I so appreciate you spending some time with me this morning as um, you know, as we're going through this craziness to share your thoughts around stoicism and share your life with me. Yeah, I really appreciate it, Lou. I'm really grateful for the invitation. And I, I hope that if this resonates with anybody uh, and you have questions about like tactical application of like, here's what I'm going through. How does this fit this? Because that's like really what we're all wondering is like, how I can how can I fit this to my unique situation? Find me on Twitter. Again, Brendan Hufford. If you Google me, that'll be one of the top things that comes up. Uh, and just ask. Like, I'd love to have conversations about this. Super. All right. Well, you have three boys that are clamoring for your attention. So I'm gonna let you go. Yes, they are. All right, I appreciate it, Lou, thanks. I hope you found this episode useful for the show notes and all the links. Head on over to secondbreaks.com forward slash podcast. Next week, my guest is Kristen Gerard, who shares her own experiences and lessons learned from having to rise up and rebuild her life and career from the ground up. The best way to not miss that episode and all future episodes is to subscribe to the podcast. And you can do that using whatever app it is that you're using right now to listen to this episode. Or if you happen to be listening to this on the website, right around the audio player, you will see some options for podcast apps. All season, we're diving into the topic of career continuity and resilience. So if you have any questions about this topic, you can email me, lou at secondbreaks.com, and I'll do my best to address those questions in future episodes. One last ask, please share the podcast with your friends and colleagues who may benefit from the conversations that we're having this season. Okie dokie, I'll be back next week. In the meanwhile, be safe, stay home, and continue making a dent, my friend. Cool beans.